uh, Solomon. It's not my name, I'm Brian. Uh, I'm the student pastor here at Bay Marin, and uh, we're talking about a guy named Solomon. We've been talking about him the past couple weeks, uh, the rise and fall. He did some good stuff, he did some bad stuff. Um, I want to talk, uh, I want to back up just a few books. We've been in 1 Kings chapter 3, um, but I think it's important for us, for what we're going to talk about today, to jump back into the book of Deuteronomy. Because uh, Deuteronomy provides instruction to this people of Israel. Um, if we know much about where they came from, was they were uh, slaves in Egypt, and then Moses uh, led them out of slavery, brought them into the wilderness where they hung out for a while, and then eventually they moved uh, into the promised land. Um, but they didn't really have a blueprint for how to live their life. And so what Deuteronomy was supposed to do was provide some instruction for how they're to live their life in this new economy. Uh, and so in Deuteronomy chapter 12, uh, it says this, be careful not to sacrifice your burnt offerings anywhere you please. Offer them only at the place the Lord will choose in one of your tribes, and there observe everything that I command you. And so the command here is pretty simple. Don't offer your sacrifices anywhere you want. God says, I've got a certain place where I want you to do this in your new land, and so do it there. Uh, a little bit later, before Deuteronomy 7, 3 says... When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess and drives you out before many nations, the Hittites, the Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them and show them no mercy. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your children away from following you to serve other gods. Uh, and so again, Deuteronomy, its purpose was to give instruction to this people Israel how to live their lives in this new place. So the rest of the world lives a certain way, but God says, for my people, I have a different kind of way, a different kind of life, a different way that I want my people to live. And so this command not to intermarry with these seven nations has less to do about these other tribes, these other nations, and more to do about following God. Because what he said was, don't allow your sons and daughters to marry with these other nations because you're going to turn, your children are going to turn from me to other gods. And so it's always about God. All the commands are always pointing back to God, how to live right in God's kingdom. So lastly, Deuteronomy 17 says, starting verse 14, the king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. And when he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll, a copy of this law, taken from that of the Levitical priests, is to be with him, and he is to read, all, read it all the days of his life, so that may, he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees, and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites, and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. Uh, and so the big idea in this section is that Israel's not to return back to Egypt. 
said they came out of slavery a long time ago, so why would they ever even want to go back there? Now, I'll talk some about accumulating a lot of horses and building up a lot of wealth, um, but that's something we're going to talk about another day, um, but just interesting to note. Uh, so let's actually go to 1 Kings chapter 3 now. We're going to look at how Solomon does with this instruction that he has, or at least has access to. Um, I've got the verses behind me. There's also Bibles uh, in the seats in front of you. So if you want to go ahead and turn to 1 Kings chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And we're going to see how Solomon is doing. So Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because the temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. So, uh, knowing what we knew about Deuteronomy, the stuff that we just read, uh, Solomon's off to a great start, right? <laughs> Not so much. Uh, he's already broken like all three of those. Uh, and this is like his first thing that he's done as a king. Uh, the very first thing he did, he's like, hey, like Egypt's, they're a pretty good power and my nation that I've just taken over, like we're growing. So if I make an alliance with Egypt, then that's going to make us stronger. We're going to have a strong ally. All good and well in the grand scheme of the world. If you look at what other nations are doing, like that's a good thing. But Solomon, he knows better. In Deuteronomy, it says not to return to Egypt. And so he's taking his people as king and taking them in an alliance with Egypt, something that he's not supposed to do. He's also done that before he's built a temple for the Lord. And so what's happening is that his people are making sacrifices and offerings at all these high places, which are like uh, revered places all over the land. The problem is that they said not to do that in Deuteronomy. There's a specific place where that's supposed to happen. And because Solomon has not yet built a temple, his people have no place to worship. And so they're going all over the place. He also hasn't built walls around a city. So any of these outside threats coming around, uh, they have no protection. So Solomon's not doing a, a really great job right now. But he's falling into this pattern and this mindset of the rest of the world. If the rest of the world is, is doing these things and making alliances, then I should be doing those things too. But from the very beginning, God says, I want my people to follow me and I will be their provider. We saw that before the first king Saul was even elected. And God was saying, I'm your provider. I will take care of you. What's happening is that God's people, and Solomon in this case too, is taking things into his own hands. He says, I think I can manage. I can take control. I can do this on my own. So uh, before we're super hard on Solomon, because we can do that with people that are in leadership a lot of times, uh, I want to share a little story about uh, when I was in kindergarten, I was five years old. Uh, some of uh, the students have heard this story before, but it's a good one. Uh, I think it's great. I, uh, so I was in kindergarten, and uh, I have two older sisters. Uh, one's five years older, one's just a year older. And while my parents were building a new house, uh, we lived in a trailer, and all my sisters and I, we shared the same room. And so my oldest sister, she was already off in school because she started earlier, and me and my middle sister uh, were getting ready for school. And so I was brushing my teeth like every good five-year-old should be doing. And uh, I have this habit, like I walk around when I'm brushing my teeth. I don't really know why. I just kind of do. And uh, I made my way into the bedroom and a little bit of toothpaste fell out of my mouth right onto my oldest sister's pillow. And like any good older sister does, she went to go tattle on me. So she runs and go gets my mom. And like any five-year-old, 
I run and hide. So I, I run away into the bathroom, and like, I close the door kind of behind it where the door is still open, because uh, you got to be safe behind a door, right? So uh, my sister comes back, says that my mom wants me, and uh, I was like, I don't think she does. So I slammed the door, which would have been fine, except my sister's nose was right in the crack of the door. Uh, wasn't a good situation. I don't really remember a whole lot after that. <laughs> I'm sure she does. Uh, I just know I went to school late that day, and we were learning how to tell time, and uh, I still have trouble telling time sometimes. Uh, and I had to sit out a recess with the bad kids, which is like super bummer, because like, we had this huge sand pit, a big play structure, monkey bars, it's awesome. Um, my sister's okay, in case you're wondering. She's doing fine. Um, she's still got a little scar on her nose, but she's good. Uh, I say all that because uh, I didn't have really a blueprint for what to do in that situation. Like when I'm five and you get in trouble, like you don't really know what to do, so you go and hide, and you seem to do what's right in your own eyes. Uh, Solomon, his experience was a lot different than mine in that case, uh, but he hadn't read the blueprint. He didn't know what to do as a king in Israel, and so he was doing what he thought was best in his own eyes. Either way, he's still not on to a great start. So let's see what happens next. So again, chapter 3, verse 4. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place, and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. So in this moment, Solomon is at a crossroad. He's still not doing exactly what he commands. He's gone to Gibeon, another place not designated for offerings, and he's making a lot of, a thousand offerings, the whole bunch. Um, but despite this, God still enters into this conversation with him and appears to him and says, Solomon, whatever you ask, I'll give it to you. And so this is Solomon's response in verse 6. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David. Because he is faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart, you have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people, and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Uh, now this is a familiar story to a lot of us. We've heard the story of Solomon, and we say, Solomon asks for what? Wisdom. But what Solomon actually asks for here in the text is a little bit more nuanced, a little bit more specific than just wisdom. What he asks for it is, is a discerning heart and to distinguish between what is right and what is wrong. Now that can be classified as wisdom, sure, but I think Solomon is getting at something a little bit more deeper than that. Solomon's heart for what he really wants is he wants what God has for his people. He just doesn't quite know what to do in getting that. And he points that out. He says, God, like, I'm just, I'm just a kid and I don't know how to perform my duties. And what he's saying is it's, he's using kind of an idiomatic expression and he's saying, I don't have the leadership skills necessary to do this. I've never been in this situation. Uh, no king before Israel, there's not been a lot of them, but no king before me has had this situation either. So I don't know what I'm doing, and God, I need a discerning heart 
and to distinguish between right and wrong. What he's asking is, show me how to administer justice. Show me how to be a right and true king. Because before Solomon became king, all we had was Saul and David. And during that time, Israel was just kind of running around and waging war against other nations and building this kingdom. And so now Solomon's in place, and he has a peaceful time. And so what do you do in times of peace when you're not waging war against other nations? You're developing commerce. You're doing uh, building and trading and trying to build up your kingdom and make it safe and secure. And no king has done that. So there's not a blueprint, again, for Solomon to do this. And so justice can only emerge when the king is able to distinguish between right and wrong. And so that's what Solomon is asking for. And so what we see here is a model of faith, and Solomon's finally starting to do something good. He's looking for the interest of his community and his people before the interest of his own. And so this is how God responds here in verse 10. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands, as David your father did, I will give you a long life. And that's like super encouraging for Solomon, right? Like he walks in and he's like, yeah, I'll take a discerning heart and uh, learn to distinguish between what's right and what's wrong. And God's like, cool, I'm going to give you that and everything else you didn't ask for. I'm going to give you wealth. I'm going to give you fame. I'm going to give you security. Uh, that's pretty awesome. Like I'd be pretty pumped if that happened. <clears throat> it's like winning the lottery and then like, again, the next day. Maybe. Uh, but I, what I love about this is that God is the one who initiated this with Solomon. Solomon was, was running around, again, doing what was right in his own eyes, which wasn't right. Yet God stepped into that situation and said, hey, I'm going to give you another chance. How do you want to rule this kingdom? How do you want to lead your people? And Solomon's heart is on display here. And he says, God, what I want is I want your kingdom. I want what you have for your people. And you, I just want you to use me in this situation. But it was God that came to Solomon first, despite the fact that Solomon didn't start out too great. Uh, and at the end of that, uh, what's important to note is that this, this covenant between Solomon, hi Max, uh, Max is waiting. Uh, this important, uh, Solomon was in this covenant with his people and with God. What was important to note, a note about that um, I got distracted, <laughs> obviously, um, was that it was an agreement. Sol Solomon has to keep up his end of the bargain. Now, David had made this covenant with God that said, your, your line will last forever. Uh, and so that agreement was with David and with God. Now, anybody can replace Solomon. This, this agreement that the lineage of David will last forever doesn't have to be with Solomon. Solomon's part of the bargain is that he has to continue to obey the decrees of God or God will remove him or those promises that he was given won't last for him. But at the very end, verse 15. Then Solomon awoke, and he realized it had been a dream. 
He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all his court. So Solomon, he's finally done something right. He humbled himself, he looked before the God and said, God, give me a discerning heart. Allow me to distinguish between what is right and what is wrong. And so now his first act, now that he has this blueprint, now that he knows what is right and what is wrong, is he goes back to the place where he's supposed to. He goes to where the Ark of the Covenant is and he makes his sacrifices in the proper place. So now Solomon finally has this wisdom, this discerning heart that he asked for. And so there's a few things that I think that we can take from this life of Solomon, at least this part of the story. I think the first thing is looking at control versus trust. Before this encounter that Solomon had with God, he was trying to control things. He was trying to do what was right in his own eyes. Because he looked around at everywhere else, all the other nations and what they were doing, and he said, they're doing that, I'm gonna do that too. But from the beginning, God's people have been doing that, right? We try to take control of life because we think that we can figure it out better than what God can. We had Adam and Eve in the garden and they ate the fruit, right? We had Abraham and his wife, they try to go through a different means to have a child. Jacob literally wrestles with God, trying to take it into his own hands. So all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the Bible, we see man, God's people, trying to take control of things into their own hands instead of allowing God to lead like he said I can from the beginning. God wants to be the provider. God wants to lead his people, yet we always try to take it into our own hands. Because it's tough to allow faith to lead our lives, to trust in something that we can't actually see and hang on to. So it's much easier for us to try to take control of it, to shape it, to twist it, to mold it into what we want our problems or what we want the solution to be. I think if we look at uh, things in our life, if we, just, if we look at somebody else and say, man, if they just believe like I did, life would be a lot simpler. Or man, if my kids just listened to me the first time, I could be so much more peaceful in the house, right? Uh, if my clients would stop being so self-absorbed and stubborn, work would be so much more simple. But it's not always that way. Sometimes God has a different way of life, a different way of living for us, and he wants us just to let go, to stop trying to take control of what he has for us. And beyond the stuff that's just like local, just in our own lives, like there's a lot of jacked up stuff happening in the world right now, right? We saw what happened in Charlottesville yesterday. And it's a terrible thing. And I, and I can tell you that that is not the heart of God. What happened there yesterday was not what God intended uh, for his people, for any people. Um, things that are, that are led by hate and bigotry and discrimination, like that is not what God wants for us. And there, to some, those acts and those things would seem wise, but I would say that's not, not even close. What we look at when we see Jesus in the Bible, the people that he chose to spend his time with, he spent time with the little guy. He spent time with the marginalized. Uh, he hung out with the other. And that's who Jesus chose to spend his time with. Jesus stepped into the broken spaces in this world and hung his arms on the cross and we are to open our arms just like Christ did on the cross to this world that's broken and hurting. And for us, I think we need to learn to distinguish and have a discerning heart so we know what is right 
and what is wrong. And so when we see things that are not right in this world, that we can step into those, step into those broken moments. So what do we do? When we see these big problems in the world that are going on around us, what do we do in those moments? Or when we have the things that are happening just in our own lives, with our own families, what do we do in those moments? How do we step into those? How do we have a discerning heart? How do we have the knowledge of distinguishing between what is right and what is wrong? Because remember, at the beginning of Solomon's reign, he did what is right in his own eyes. He thought he knew what he was doing because he looked at what the rest of the world was and said, that's wise, that's wisdom. I'm going to try and do that. But it didn't start out too well. It didn't do great for him. So 1 Corinthians says this about wisdom. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools, so that you may know, so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. See, God desires justice. What I mean by justice is standing in right relationships. The well-being of the community, being faithful to what God has for us. To be wise is to understand the will of God and then to put it into practice. See, worldly wisdom is a decision to do things at the service of yourself before the, the good of the community that you're in, the good of others. And godly wisdom, one of steadfast love, one of justice, is one that serves the well-being of the community before it serves the self, looking after the interest of others before your own. So we in the community of faith are like Solomon. We have a choice that we can follow the worldly wisdom, one that seeks to serve self, or we can choose one of godly wisdom, one that's practical, one that's neighborly, one that looks for the needs of the community before it serves the self. And so what are we doing to serve the well-being of the community? If we do, in fact, want to follow the command of God and have wisdom that comes from God, to be wise, to have a discerning heart, to know and knowledge, distinguish between what is right and what is wrong, how do we do that? How are we seeking justice, what is right, in a world that thrives on injustice? I think the first thing we do is we need to start with prayer. Uh, I love that Doug this morning in the announcements um, wanted us to collectively pray. Uh, I think it's great to go into a closet uh, and to pray on your own. I think the Bible talks about doing that. But as a community, as a body, like, we need to pray together. When we see things that grieve us in this world or in our lives, that should be our first response. To fall on our knees in prayer before God. God wants to know what's broken in our hearts. God wants to know what's going on. then we also have to look towards God's word. Um, Deuteronomy for Solomon was the blueprint, right? That was how he was supposed to live his life. And if he had read it, um, as a king, you were commanded uh, to read the book of the law. You're supposed to read through those. And if Solomon had done that, he would have started off his reign in a much better place than where he did. And I think for us, um, some people will say that the Bible is a roadmap to life. I don't know if I'd go that far. Uh, but the Bible is an insight into the heart of God, into the mind of God. Uh, his heart for his people, it shows us a picture of what he wants this world, of how, how to love others, how to step into the broken areas of this world. And if we don't know the Bible, if we don't look at the scriptures, if we don't know the heart of God, 
it's going to be a big struggle for us to try to live that out. So I believe that as we dive into the scriptures, that God's mind, God's heart for us and his people will begin to be illuminated for us. And lastly, we need to reach out to those people that are hurting around us. Uh, you interact with a lot of people in your life, uh, at school, at work, on the streets, uh, on Twitter, Facebook. Uh, we interact with a lot of people. Uh, and I can guarantee you those people that are around us that are hurting. Uh, and we can post something on Twitter or Facebook, uh, and that can do some good. Maybe it won't. I don't know. Um, but it requires more. We need to step into their lives with open arms, just as Christ stepped into our lives with open arms. Uh, to step in, to have those conversations, to ask, hey, what can I do for you? How can I help you? Uh, and go beyond just, hey, like, I'll pray for you. Uh, it requires action. It requires obedience. Uh, something important about Solomon was when he had said, I want a discerning heart and to know between, distinguish between what is right and what is wrong. Uh, what is he actually being said? He's like, I want a listening heart. Uh, listening in the Hebrew language wasn't just, hey, I hear you, but it also had this other thing attached to it of obedience. If you listen to somebody, then you heard them and you did it. So we need to step into the broken areas of this world, just as Christ stepped into the broken areas of this world. We need to seek the true heart of God in our lives. We need to seek justice. We need to know how to distinguish between what is right and what is wrong. And we do that by spending time in prayer as individuals and collectively as a group. We do that uh, by diving into the word of God to understand and know the heart and mind of God. And we do that by stepping into the broken places of this world uh, with open arms to the people that are hurting around us. So will you pray with me? Father God, God, we thank you for the lessons in your servants, uh, your King Solomon, and uh, that he, he modeled faith for us um, and asked for a discerning heart to know between what is right and what is wrong. And God, I pray the same for us, that we would be able to ask of you, that you would give us uh, godly wisdom, not worldly wisdom, that is foolishness but that you would help us to seek justice, Father, uh, to do what is right and true, uh, to live out this, this college in our lives, uh, to bring things into right relationships, to step into the broken places of this world, uh, to administer justice, to bring things back to righteousness. God, I pray that you'd be with us uh, the rest of this week and as this, this world around us is uh, going through a lot of, a lot of crazy stuff, God, I pray that as your people, uh, that we would step up and that we would be a voice uh, to speak against injustice. God, that we would have the wisdom that comes from you uh, to know how to bring your kingdom here to this. And God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.